She, she, she is perfect. Smithy Memorial Studio. This is the Broken Projector Podcast with Scott Beggs and Jeff Latula. Welcome everyone to another platitudinous episode of the Broken Projector Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Beggs. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Latulip. And we're back. We're back. After a long hiatus, we are back and we are on a new channel. As you can see, channel, I don't know what it is. It's a feed. Platform? I don't know what to call it. Platform. No, it's. I mean, it's the same platform, right? Because it's on a phone or a podcasting thing. I don't know what I'm talking about. We're in a new line, a column on your phone. You're going to have to hunt for it. <laughs> this Hunting guy, for column. This is, this is a challenge for you to see if you can find where we're at. Uh, we are now officially under the umbrella of the One Perfect Pod family. Uh, it is, of course, the Film School Rejects podcasting feed column channel platform and we're on it now so happy to say that we're joining a cool crew uh if you're listening to this right now you may be wondering who we are you already know all of the other shows on one perfect pod because you listen to them we may be new to you we have been around for four years uh we've been uh on our own feed the broken projector feed uh been on the film school rejects site for a really long time this is a podcast that was born out of the original rejects radio which was the first podcast for film school rejects and uh, then Jeff and I have been holding the banner for quite some time. We talk about movies in, I think, an interesting and distinct way because we've got uh, me, a professional film critic, and Jeff, a professional screenwriter. So we're coming at it from two different angles. And then, of course, we offer screenwriting and filmmaking advice in the meantime, which you can take at your own peril, frankly. <laughs> and uh, then some fun stuff along the way. In this episode... We will be talking about uh, some realizations from my trip to Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal, uh, what you can think about for uh, film festivals, how to use them as a fan and as an aspiring writer or director. Uh, then we're going to talk about Hollywood summer overperforming. Uh, spoiler alert, it's not overperforming, it's underestimated. And uh, did I just give it away? Did I ruin? I can't tease a segment. Very uh, yeah, well. I don't think anybody knows. Nobody's been talking about it. Yeah, I know. And then uh, we'll close up shop on Christopher Nolan and Netflix, a segment we're calling Who's Right? We Are. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the tagline. Who's Right this week? Christopher Nolan versus Netflix. Whoever wins, we're, we're right. We're the ones that are right. So That's correct. Um, you can get in touch with us at Broken Projector on Twitter. Email us podcast at filmschoolrejects.com. Keep tuning in. Thank you for taking a chance on us. I know we're kind of a weird interloper because you expect uh, to hear after the credits or the one perfect podcast. Uh, and uh, here we are. Strange alien invaders into your world. Um, Jeff, is there any other way by introduction that you want to... Who, who are you? You know, I write. He does. Uh... Yeah, if you if you are not familiar with me, and there's really no reason you should be, um, I wrote the movie Going the Distance, which came out in 2010, and have uh, spectacularly failed at getting another movie made ever since. Um, I do my best to dispense um, horrible opinions and semi-relevant screenwriting advice, 
and uh, I'm sure that you will come to be infuriated by me. <laughs> Jeff has uh, also written a lot of scripts for different studios that have not been made into movies. As Yes, as, as is the life of many, many a screenwriter. But yes, and I was going to say that may be one of the first lessons, if you are new to this show, that uh, that's actually more typical than not writing a lot, so. being professional, getting paid, having that day-to-day job as a screenwriter, and not having any credits is actually more normal than you could imagine. So. I, I, re- I remember when uh, Going the Distance was coming out and the producer that I was working with on another topic or on another project was, was asking me about, uh, you know, how, how I was feeling and if I was excited and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I was like, yeah, of course it's the greatest thing ever. And he said, well, if you have a brilliant career, you'll get six of those. Yeah. And so that really put the whole thing in perspective for me. So way to be a downer. Yeah. Well, I think I, it, it actually helps me wait appreciate until the morning. <laughs> Actually, it helped me appreciate the moment more because I was able to look around and be like, "Oh God, I might never be back here." Um, so yeah, it's 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 really um, you know you think about like somebody just writes a script and it's like great and they go make it and it man it never happens that way. I'm actually surprised that you remember that because I've heard that alcohol has that effect that shuts down your short term memory. Well, I actually have a robot that reminds me of really important things every morning, <laughs> so um, I've found a way to take care of that. So that's good. I think yeah. we should we should sell that to the sometimes, rest of the world. Sometimes I think ahead. <laughs> um, speaking of thinking ahead, let's jump right into our first main segment here after thanking all of you for sticking with us. And just to say, I think we're a little bit excited and nervous because we're happy to be back. Oh, absolutely. So, um, first segment, uh, I was in Fantasia Fest in Montreal, Canada. It's my first time in Montreal. I did not eat any poutine. I did not have any Timbits. I'm so sorry, Canada. I ate. Wait, what uh, are Timbits? I don't. They're know little. Those. They're donut holes. Oh, they're at Tim Hortons, which is a place oh, I was told to get right. a double double, which is a coffee with two sugars, two creams. And then I also heard from many, many Canadians that said uh, that Tim Hortons coffee is garbage. Hmm. That's <laughs> so interesting. I saw no reason to go get coffee there. And then Timbits are donut holes. Okay, so, that makes sense. I didn't have any, but. Um, <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Glad, glad we got that out of the way. Well, I'm just—I went to Canada and failed at Canadaing, <laughs> but uh, Fantasia. For those who don't know, uh, it's put on every year. I believe it's the 27th year that they've been around. Uh, it's an incredibly massive fest, both uh, in scale and in in size, in in length, because it's three and a half weeks long. Man. Um, it, I think played 150 ish movies this year and it's still going on. Like it goes through, uh, August 2nd this year. So it's still happening. For and those I was there of you for... math wizards, that's almost 50 movies a week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's why we have you and your robot to do that's this why. kind of thing for us. Like I said, that's why I'm here. Um, and so I'm back. Fantasia was a blast. Thank you to everyone that had me there. Uh, you can find some of my reviews, uh, for it that are going up on Nerdist and Slash Film also. Um, and for those of you listening, just remember the names Bad Genius, The Villainous, and Low Life. You're going to be happy that you remember those names. Set up a Google alert or something. You are going to be glad that you did. I, they, I th- One day they will come out. Before the show started, Scott was uh, explaining Bad Genius to me, and it just sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a Thai movie with high school kids cheating on tests who decided to cheat on the international version of the SAT. And uh, it's got like a slight Edgar Wright tilt to it, 
a little little bit of that. A lot of action movie language uh, distilled into the, just this fantastic story about high school kids. Low stakes with like huge attitude. It's really wonderful. Uh, perfect. Like legitimate. Like Rob Hunter and I were trying to discover flaws in the movie. We were trying to hunt down, and I can't. I do not know a flaw in that film. That's a great story. It's ridiculously. It's like insane how good this movie is. Um, and I think it's a. Uh, illustrative also some of the realizations that i had at the fest that i want to share with you guys kind of had some uh, aha moments so to speak um which is like the layman's version of the eureka moment i guess that's like the everyday version of the eureka moment Um, also you're not a a gold prospector in the 1890s (laughs) would that i were yeah uh so my advice for fans going to festival is really no brainer just have a blast and stay hydrated that's it but (laughs) For aspiring writers and directors, let's jump into this a little bit, and Jeff, you can yell at me, correct me, or uh, cheer me on enthusiastically as we go. Sounds Uh, good. One, watch the movies you think might be in a similar wheelhouse to what you want to write or make. Not Mm -hmm. to steal those ideas, but to get a sense of what elements in the film made it possible for someone to say yes to it. Not only get to get made, but someone at the festival said, yes, I want to show this at my festival. Right. That can be really good research. Um, And if you can't go, like if you're not in Montreal, you can't afford a plane ticket to it. If you're not in a city that has a film festival uh, at all, be it Tribeca or Sundance or South by Southwest, whatever it is, um, check out what's playing at those festivals, which you can do online. And recognize that like these things, these movies made it into the festival for a reason. Someone chose them. And so then do do these movies have names that you recognize? Is that like a selling point? Does the log line seem cool and fresh and interesting? Is it the only movie from a predict- particular production company that's there? What's it about? How long is it? What genre is it representing? Like check all these things out and just note that you you can basically not have to like create a spreadsheet or anything here, but you can get a general sense of like what is actually playing there and why did someone say yes to it and see if you can also like what of those elements you can also uh, launch off from. It's, it's, it's really good to keep in mind because especially, you know, at at a lot of film festivals, they're going to be what amount to like independent star vehicles, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for writers and actors. And then, you know, there's going to be the much smaller stuff. And it's always good to keep in mind when, um, you either go to the festival or you're reading about it later or doing your research to remember that, you know, when you see the small stuff with actors you don't recognize and names you've never heard and budgets that are clearly very small, these people are working with the same set of resources that you would be probably if you made your own movie. Exactly, and yes. so be sure to absorb the fact that, hey, if they got this done, I certainly can. Yeah, that's a big one. And. Uh, the other the other thing is to pay attention to what gets sold out of the festival. Again, this is something you can do from home. You don't have to buy the plane ticket or go to the festival. Um, you can do it from home and research it. You know, find out what company bought what, and see if they have listed for how much it was bought, and what was the initial budget to begin with. And I say all of this to do this to pay attention to this, not because you'll be chasing a trend but because you can find a more natural fit for what you want to make. Right. Especially if, if you're doing genre movies, then it's simple to say, okay, Fantastic Fest, Fantasia, Seaches, all these other kind of uh, genre film festivals that are a bit more local or regional. That's 
an easy button answer, but is the specific vampire romance that takes place on the moon that you're making, like what home would it find more most naturally? Um, I think that's the important thing. This next level of research that you can do. I read recently um, a writer giving advice about how to get short stories published. And one of the things they said is to basically reverse engineer it, you know, get uh, several short story publications that you're interested in and read, 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 and pay attention to word count lengths and styles Mm. and themes and subtexts and recognize that like these people that make these magazines are human beings and they have biases and they have things I like more than anything else. Uh, is the magazine, you know, super violent or is it actually really shy away from that? Is it adult or is it aimed at a more general audience, you know, full family friendly? There are things that you can understand. And again, I say this not to like chase the trend or, or, or to, you know, exactly say, well, I'm going to write something specifically for this publication then, although you could do that too. But like when it comes to filmmaking, you can find a more natural home without chasing a trend that you're never, ever going to catch. Yeah, I think, you know, that's real important. And if you've listened to the show before, we've talked about this a lot. But if you haven't, um, trend chasing is one of the most dangerous things that you can do because you can look at a series of spec sales or a slate of films at a film festival or anything like that and say, okay, you know, there's this movie and this movie and this movie and then categorize them and start to believe I need to write something like that. When actually the the lesson you should be taking from it is, you know, at the very worst, let's say you have several ideas that you're super passionate about and you can't decide which one to start. If you look at the kind of things that people are interested in and the kind of things that are selling, maybe that moves you towards starting one project over another. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the kind of way you want to look at it because, you know, as we've always talked about and you'll hear pro writers and and filmmakers say this all the time, you know, the, the trick is not necessarily to write what's hot. The trick is to write what you're going to write the best and make it hot. Yeah. So it's always, 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 always better to start the trend with something amazing than to chase it with something mediocre. Exactly. And I do have one final thought on uh, going to the festival, and that is to just go to the social events and meet people and bring business cards, which is something I'm terrible at. And I and I know it. This is actually for me. I'm going to listen to this episode right before the next <laughs> I uh, do, festival. I do the same exact thing. I have never had a business card. Um, I don't actually think that I need one, but people do ask me for it, and I'm like, oh, I'm not an adult. Yeah, and then you're like, well, i got to find a pen and a cocktail napkin, and the exactly. napkin's going to get wet. And, and, and by the way, the, the, whole thing. the trick to either avoiding that or you know, uh, not worry about it, like if you can't get business cards, is just to drink more. <laughs> and then just shout your name and number. At the social events, exactly. In, into the street. That's right. Uh, and just an just a asterisk on this one. If you're going to go meet people... And whether that's uh, people who run the festival, which can be great contacts, and they can uh, talk to you more and get kind of an inside track on what they're looking for so that when you have something really good, you can trust and say, hey, we met at this festival. I have a movie that I think you're really going to like a lot. Um, You can actually have an an open door to that kind of thing. Um, It could be other fans that are at the festival. They're really great to listen to because you can talk to them and see what they liked, what they didn't like. You can uh, get a bead on uh, movies that are like the second screening of a movie you didn't 
catch. You know, you can mm-hmm. get what's hot. And everyone's talking about this one movie, Bad Genius. Go see it. You know, that's the kind of thing. Um, figure out why everyone likes it so much. And then, of course, the other element is the uh, directors, uh, the writers, and the stars that are actually at these things. Uh, several festivals, they go hang out like normal people. At Fantasia, right. there's a place called Irish Embassy that's kind of like the little secondary home of the fest. It's the like alcohol home of the fest. And everyone's there at the end of the night having a really good time. And it's, you know, Barbara Crampton and uh, other, you know, uh, other movie actors that are hanging out there as well because they're killing time too they're just relaxing and enjoying their time at the fest so um there is a, a way to go talk to them as well and, you, and i was i was just going to say and you never know when you're going to make a meaningful connection with somebody that can help you either it, through advice or a, you know an actual business transaction or whatever yeah so like the social media coordinator for fantasia matt kiernan who does a lot of social stuff for a lot of different places he just and he knows movies like the back of his hand he was telling me a story about uh being at a market uh maybe probably la uh film market and uh or whatever it's called american film market afm uh Mm -hmm. and he was saying that he had uh gotten that year a a buyer's badge uh, so he had to tell a bunch of people that ran into him, no, 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 don't pay attention to me, basically. <laughs> right. uh, and he had uh, one young person came up to him and he kind of gave them the like, oh, I'm not actually a buyer, blah, 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 blah. And the young person was like, oh, I'm like right out of college. I have all these great ideas and I want to pitch you. And it just so happened that right around the corner was uh, an older gentleman named Roger Corman. Huh. And Matt grabbed the uh, aspirational by the shoulder and turned their attention to Roger Corman and said, Hey, that's the person you want to be talking to go introduce yourself, be polite and spend five minutes talking to them. He's definitely going to give you five. He may not give you more than that, but he may be the best conversation you have this entire time. That's great. So don't close the doors on yourself. But the, again, the big asterisk this I was going to say is if you're going to go meet people, actually meet them. Go really talk to that person. Don't just stay, say hi and start pitching to them. Get to know who they are and, and right. quid pro quo like a human being meeting other human beings. It's, it's uh, you know, one of the things that I learned is that it's always good to um, make a connection before you try to make, um, you know, like a, a business arrangement mm-hmm. or, or, or anything like that. So if you can connect to somebody personally, like you said, as a human and then leave it with um, you know, I'd love to get in contact with you sometime about such and such and such. People are almost always cool with that. Uh, whereas if you walk up and say, hey, I've got the script, your chances of being uh, bounced away are pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, understand that these people may be able to do something for you. Do not view them simply as things that can do something for you. Correct. Um, and that's all I got. I, I think the coolest thing that I realized while I was at this festival, and sometimes these thoughts just kind of percolate while I'm on four hours of sleep every night and trying to write three reviews a day and watching four movies a day, is that uh, there are, there's not like a cottage industry for going and meeting uh, industry types or supposed industry types that are going to talk your ear off about all this advice and nonsense that may or may not pan out and usually doesn't pan out and it doesn't amount to anything. But I thought that the cool thing about a film festival is that it's kind of like a working vacation where you can go and you can treat it that way as market research, what stories are selling, what stories are hitting harder than others, uh, where do you fall into that mix? And at the same time, you get to watch a bunch of movies. 
Yeah, I was going to say, that's like the worst case scenario of a film yeah. festival. Yeah, the worst case is you went and had a good time. Yeah. Uh, that being said, Fantasia's great. And I know that there are a lot of other film festivals out there. This is the one that I just came back from, and I was just super happy to be there. It was my first time there, and I don't know that I could have had a better time. I don't think I've been to Montreal for like 15 or 16 years, and I, I genuinely miss it. Yeah. So uh, we'll be going to Montreal is the point of this whole thing. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and now to discuss a little bit about summer movies. Jeff, do you want to lead us in on this? Well, there was a really interesting article in the L.A. Times this week about um, you know studio tent poles. Uh, underperforming and the idea that uh, the tent poles that were overperforming um, seemed to be female driven or female centric or at least you know gave a shit about women who go to see movies um, and you know what what the what the uh, writer kind of surmised and I think is is really true is that you know there, there's a lot of different reasons I think that we're seeing the the summer box office not necessarily crater but but again just sort of underperform uh, even though it's been like really noticeable and and you know we'll, we'll see we're seeing much bigger drops from weekend one to weekend two than we would normally see uh-huh. and there's a whole bunch of different reasons for this you know people are even though uh, i thought spider-man homecoming was great um y- you can completely understand people who are like i don't i don't need to pay 15 dollars to go see another spider-man movie right um it's just not in my wheelhouse and you know and that's when you're talking about a good movie when you're talking about movies that people you know it it almost seems sometimes like they're not trying anymore and people aren't even asking for when you get like a fifth transformers and like a 27th pirates of the caribbean Mm -hmm. you know you're going to start to see diminishing returns but the point that was made, and I think a really salient one, is that, you know, you see something like Beauty and the Beast, um, which, you know, there's been 20-some-odd years in between the the animated original and this live-action remake, but it's the highest-grossing movie of the year by leaps and bounds right now. Um, and it's, it's you know, it, it has a, a very uh, female-driven story at its core. And then you look at something like Wonder Woman, which, you know, on its face is not that much different than the superhero movies that have been coming out the previous 10 years before it, but it's the first one to really focus on a popular, uh, you know, female superhero. And it's just had reach for days. I mean, it keeps going and and the returns are amazing. Uh And the thing that was pointed out is that maybe that's because women are 52% of the movie going public and they're anxious to see more stories where they have a more central and prominent role. Right. And I I think when you sent me this, you pointed out uh, one of the key uh, lines in it to say, uh, all of this should lead the entertainment industry to a very clear conclusion about its box office blues. There are simply too many men and not enough women on screen to earn back the money these big budget films demand. And this is Steven Zajic writing for LA Times. Uh, It's the kind of conclusion there that feels like a no-brainer and yet is also a revolutionary idea to come to. Like, I imagine there would be a a healthy amount of people reading that who bristle at it and get pissed off. It's It's incredible how little this industry learns i mean it's it's just uh, it, it's not you know th- if you're if you're working at a studio 
what you should be thinking is not necessarily, um, you know, let's remake everything uh, with a female cast because that's not necessarily going to work. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, let's, um, let's uh, you know, grab every piece of IP we can uh, with women at the center of it. That's a, a little better if it's stuff people haven't seen, but that's not necessarily going to work. Mm-hmm. What you should be looking at is uh, there's, a, there's a movie coming out, I believe, this weekend or next weekend, um, which is it's, uh, it's going to crush at the box office, especially relative to its budget. It's, uh, you know, a, a movie about four or five black women who, uh, you know, go on a vacation and just kind of get wild. And it's it's going to destroy and people are going to act, act surprise again like it doesn't happen all the time. Like clockwork. Um, yeah, like, so what, you know, if, if you're working at a studio or production company and you're smart, what you're doing is is not just looking for things that feature women prominently, but looking for good material, mm-hmm. Good original, smart material that features women prominently, and you want to start to make that half your slate because the audience is out there. And just like uh, women have been going to male-dominated movies for forever, I- I'm pretty sure that Wonder Woman proved that you know guys will go to uh, great stories about women too. And you know, uh, Zajac also points out uh, to Hunger Games. It's kind of the the first dam breaking there of uh, mm-hmm. a, a big property, and it disproved this this myth basically that men, especially young men, will somehow not go see a movie if a woman is in the lead. Uh, just turns out that's wrong. It just does not. Right. It's and, not borne out by the reality. And even if they don't, there's still less than fifty percent of the movie going public. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so there's there's something like funny about that in a way. <laughs> It's 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 really frustrating because you know watching it from our angle, it's you look at it and you say, and obviously it's a, a male dominated field still, you know, at the at the studio level and and even with production companies and and you you, you ask like why aren't they learning their lessons? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the number one reason is that we need to get more women in decision making positions. Well, I'm, uh, you know, to make these kinds of movies. I'm glad to hear it from your perspective because from an outsider's perspective, even though I do have some contacts and friends and and uh, acquaintances that are in the studio level, uh, it's it's great to hear it from you because every single time it just feels like uh, confirmation bias is at the root of all evil when it comes to uh, the decision-making process at a lot of major studios in so much that uh, like you said and described, this whole cycle goes through where these movies get made. Something like uh, something like a, a girls' night out uh, or Bad Moms, for example. They they come out and then uh, they crush the box office. And then after that, everyone says, "I can't believe this crushed the box office. It's over every time." And um, it's it, they're not overperforming; they're performing. That's the point, exactly. And that's where the bias comes in. And this happens uh, a lot of times with uh, majority black uh, uh, casts, also, mm-hmm. uh, where once again, a straight out of Compton comes out and it makes a crazy amount of money. And the lesson learned apparently was like, "Huh, this thing overperformed." <laughs> right? How could how could we have known? Is always the 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 chorus line and, then, and that's and, and that's then, just confirmation bias it's not let's find out what these things do and learn from it it's not we were wrong it's this thing didn't do what we wanted it or thought it would do let's find right. the next one 
And then on the flip side of that, when one of these movies, you know, with a predominantly non-white cast or, you know, with, with a, a, a female-centric narrative, when one, of, when one of them comes out and doesn't do well, it's pointed to as like, oh, see, we told you. Yeah, and that's – As that's, like the example. When you have and that few – When you have that few, unfortunately, they become – they get this giant spotlight on them. And this is, again, where bias comes into play because when you have 50 movies a year with a bunch of white people in them, uh, 50 out of 60, 50 out of 55, whatever it is, with like a male lead – and then you have a range of things, performances that go through that. Some are huge hits, some are huge tanks, some are totally middling and fine. But then when you only have the three or four movies a year with a male, with a female lead or with a uh, person of color or a cast of color, and then all of a sudden uh, everything's truncated. They're, it's all squashed yeah. down. And so if you've got three movies and two of them tank, then there's this weird assumption that it's because of this element and not because uh, a lot of movies just tank. Like, that's that's yeah. the reason. And so they single these out, come up with a conclusion, and then decide... Not It's not even about risk aversion. It's like fake risk aversion. It's invented risk aversion. They're scared of exactly. invented risk. Um, and so you shut the door to a lot of these possibilities and the cycle continues. <laughs> like that's just yeah. what happens. So yep. I'm hoping that this article from Zycheck especially gets a decent amount of play for the people that need to hear it because there's a lot of articles at the end of every summer. Uh, and I've written them too, what Hollywood needs to learn from X and, mm-hmm. you know, like I've written for a lot of places that do have VPs or development people reading these sites. And I know that people have read my work and I know that people have read a lot of these articles that are like Hollywood needs to learn this lesson. Just cast some fucking women in a role, right. man. Uh, and then that doesn't trickle through. And so uh, this is is one of the best versions of that article that I've read in a long, long time. It's, it's strong and structured and it has a lot of great data points to it. And those data points are the exact ones that matter, which is money. And I think that maybe we're at a tipping point where this summer is proving overwhelmingly in that, in that sad sort of case that we need a bunch of movies to prove the new rule uh, and it just didn't have a lot of people understanding it to begin with when the small things would quote unquote overperform. Yeah, and and I don't think I, I I do in a lot of ways believe that Wonder Woman was a tipping point um, because it was so well done and it was so well received and it was you know sort of the the gleaming gem which is the hit superhero yes. movie uh, of, of right now anyway um, but at the same time uh, the change is still going to be glacial until we can get women in positions um, at studios where they're where they're uh, buying and greenlighting movies um, at production companies where they're overseeing development and uh, otherwise behind the camera where they're writing and directing more until that sort of starts to change and even out across the board, um, it's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah. And I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're irritated and shaking your fist that we're somehow trying to raise the numbers in an artificial way, consider that, um, in, I think 2015, uh, women were only 7% of directors for major products. 7%, 7%, 7%. 7%, 7%. I'm going to yell it a thousand times because that is insane. 52% of the population, there is a structural disadvantage going on there for sure. Without question. That's our show this week. Uh, hopefully it was thought provoking. Uh, hopefully you learned something. Hopefully uh, you want to send Jeff a nice 
card of some sort, maybe with... Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'll just get swear words on Twitter, but I'm fine with that. You can find a card with cats doing surgery on it, like in a cute way. <laughs> Send it to Jeff. Um, and to just close up shop, uh, once again, you can find us on Twitter at Broken Projector. You can email us, podcast at filmschoolrejects.com. And we also have technically brokenprojectorpodcast.com, which we do not update. Uh, right. So, so definitely go there. No point in going there. Uh, and to close out the show uh, with a segment we like to call Who's Right? Christopher Nolan versus Netflix. I think we all know the backstory to this one. Jeff, who's right? I do think that Nolan's point was misunderstood a little bit, but he still came off a bit like a dinosaur um, in in claiming that, you know, well, for him it's fine to only be interested in theatrical, but for the practical realities of both the viewer and people who want to get into filmmaking, that's just not a realistic avenue, especially when you're starting off. Yeah, uh, neither, neither Nolan nor Netflix is completely right. There's room to take from all. Absolutely. That's it. And that's our show, Broken Projector Podcast on One Perfect Pod. I'm Scott. And I'm Jeff. And we will see you next week. Next week.